Hi, everybody. Welcome to the June 14th Flag Day 2019 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the passing of Denver Broncos owner, Pat Bolin, after a long journey with Alzheimer's disease. Bolin will be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame this fall and own the team during several Super Bowl appearances and two world championships. Excuse me, three world championships. I can't forget the third one. Uh, Patty Calhoun from Westward. I've already seen on Twitter that folks are saying, let's call it Pat Bolin Bolin Stadium at Mile High. Uh, What do we think the legacy Pat Bolin will leave in the city of Denver? Well, among other things, the memory, the realization that no matter how wealthy you are, you can succumb to a horrible situation like Alzheimer's, and your family might fight over your inheritance, which is going to happen with the Denver Broncos. Even better would be if they just named it Mile High Stadium or Bronco Stadium, because let's forget, let's remember, we were the ones who paid for it. That's a very good point. And taxpayer stadium just isn't the same ring to it. Good point. Uh, David Copel from the Independence Institute and uh, DU Law School. Uh, Pat Bullen led the, the Broncos uh, during a very successful run, uh, but he also made a significant stamp on the Colorado community, the, the stadium not uh, being the only one, but certainly the biggest one. What do you think his legacy is? Well, I'm, I'm, I think the only one at the table who was actually a political opponent of him because the Independence Institute opposed what happened in the late 1990s where he threatened to move the team to Los Angeles uh, and blackmailed the city into, into the taxpayers, including the ones who couldn't care less about football, into buying a, a new stadium for him. Um, but that said, he was unquestionably deserves to be in the, the Football Hall of Fame. He is one of the great and most influential and, and effective owners uh, of the last 50 years. Natasha Gardner, Articles Editor of 5280. Uh, Denver loves its Rockies and its Nuggets and its Avalanche, but there's nothing like the passion this town has for the Broncos, and it's even around the region. How much of that do you think has to do with Pat Bowen? I think a huge part of it, yeah. I mean, the city has a special passion, a special heart for for the Broncos. I mean, this is still a town where you don't plan a Sunday event without first checking to see if the Broncos are playing. You don't go anywhere on Sunday without first checking if the Broncos are playing. And and that's whether you're a sports fan or not, that impacts your life. But I think that's also what's interesting is that Pat had a big role in what the, the history of the city has been for the last few decades. But his legacy will continue with that stadium and the team that's playing there and that neighborhood. The, the city around that space is changing dramatically every single day right now. So I think while um, we're moving into his legacy the, and conversations about that, it, his name will remain a name that Denverites know for a long time. Joey Bunch, Deputy Managing Editor at Colorado Politics. You have the perspective of, since you've lived around the country and uh, you've been in Colorado for a long time, but not the whole time that Pat Bowen's been the owner, you've got a perspective outside the city of Denver, outside the state of Colorado. What's the impression of Pat Bowen outside of the Centennial State? Well, I'm a Saints fan, diehard Saints fan, and, you know, there was a long time that we would have liked to have had Pat Bowen as the owner of the Saints, but that didn't happen. You know, this is huge for Bronco Nation. I can't imagine that anybody other than John John Elway could leave a larger hole in the hearts of, of Broncos fans. Uh, you know, and his legacy exceeds the city of Denver. You know, he was the chairman of the committee that negotiated the $18 billion TV contract that set the stage for all the sports contracts that we see now. You know, he hasn't run the team since 2010, but, you know, after a period of mourning, I think we can start talking about the Brittany Bolin era. I don't think the Bolins are going anywhere. Should be interesting. 
Colorado Republican mm. officials announced this week that the recall effort of State Senator Tom Sullivan has been called off. Gun control groups who invested in fighting the recall called it a major victory, and the state Republican Party's decision to officially back the recall split many within the GOP. Patty, how damaging is this big... Uh, never mind. Well, it's less damaging than if the recall had continued because... Oh, I talked about this last week as my disgrace of the week, that of all the people to push on a recall, you have Tom Sullivan, who has been fighting in the leg went into the legislature after his son died in the Aurora Theater shooting, was fighting for red flag. People may or may not agree with the red flag law, but he was talking specifically about suicides issues and is very concerned about that. So the recall is taking after this man who hadn't really reneged on any promises he'd made when he was elected. I mean, that was part of the recall back in 2013. This was the Republican Party getting in the circular firing squad. It's just they, the Republican Party needs to rebuild in this state, and this was not going to rebuild it. It was going to tear it apart. So smart for them to drop it. It would have been much more damaging to continue the recall. David, were the opinions about this recall as split among Denver, around, among Colorado con, uh, conservatives and Republicans as some reports make it seem? Um, Yes, you had the people who wanted to, uh, might have been able to raise some money for themselves, but had no chance of winning, unlike the Galindo recall, where she was 20 points underwater in the polls and was headed for certain defeat, and in a way it was a, a lucky thing for the Democratic Party that uh, because of her some personal issues, uh, she ended up resigning, and so the seat could be filled by a Democratic appointment rather than, than won by a Republican in a, in a runoff. This had no prospect of going that way. All it was accomplishing, uh, ultimately, was increasing Tom Sullivan's email fundraising list, and that, that's already been done to a substantial degree, so not only does he have more money in the bank for 2020, where he is, he does have a pretty far-left voting record in a middle-of-the-road district, uh, but the recall would not have succeeded. And now that he's, you know, a, a national uh, figure, in at least for some donors, uh, this gives him all the more opportunity, you know, to run for Congress one day, to move up to the state Senate. So, as Patty said, it was, uh, if, if you light yourself on fire, um, it, it's, that was a bad idea in the first place, but it's a good idea to put out the fire uh, rather than letting it run its course. Natasha, uh, some of the comments from folks who wanted the recall said, well, now we'll just concentrate on his seat in 2020. Well, as David alluded to, they just dumped $200,000 into the market to, uh, on efforts to say what a great guy he is. They have a bunch of new emails. So they just made this windmill they were tilting at that much bigger for 2020. Uh, perhaps I'm being cynical. It has happened before. What do you think? I absolutely agree with this. I think the, the biggest winner out of this is Tom Sullivan, who just got a bunch of free advertising and free sort of campaigning and free publicity. Um, the thing I'm concerned with is I don't know how Colorado, filler, Colorado voters are going to feel about this constant campaign campaign cycle. If we start doing recalls on two-year seats, that means they're having elections every year or at least talking and thinking about elections every year. I mean, the session is, what, 120 days to begin with? He was already halfway through that. You just have to get through another session. I, and I wonder if not only did this particular situation not work, but are voters going to start looking at these recall conversations and saying, let's not do this. We elect people for a certain amount of time. Let's let them do their job. The other winner, I think, in this is Cole Wist, who came out and and um, pretty clearly, who, who actually lost to Sullivan, who came out and said this was not the right thing to do. Um, I, I admire his ability to stand up in that moment and, and say what, what was an important statement. 
Joey, what's your sense of what this does for the Colorado GOP? On one end, they pulled the plug early enough that more damage wasn't done. But on the other end, they did just dump a bunch of money and support into Tom Sullivan's coffers. Where does it lie at this point? Well, the Colorado GOP is not in a good position any way you look right now. You know, they pull, on the day that they pulled this recall, Everett, I was just about to report, about to sit down and write that these uh, gun control groups and, and liberal groups were ready to drop $100,000 behind Tom Sullivan. You know, I think Republicans looked at that and said, mm. You know, and they can ill afford to get their, uh, you know, to get their butt handed to them in an election in November going into the 2020 cycle. But Colorado Politics reported this morning that now they're looking at Brittany Pedersen. Brittany Pedersen won by, in Lakewood, she won by 17 points last November. And the woman that the Republicans are preparing to run against her lost to Pedersen by 18 points in the House race. Uh, you know, two years earlier. I don't see the wisdom in this. You know, I don't see the politics in it. But, you know, maybe there's something there. But there is such a thing as donor fatigue. And if they're going to go back to Republican donors year after year, you know, Republicans are going to fall further behind. They're not going to get ahead. Presidential candidate John Hickluber made national headlines this week with a speech denouncing socialism, (coughs) making a stark contrast to the position Bernie Sanders laid out at the same uh, situation in California. Meanwhile, both John Hickenlooper and Michael Bennett qualified to take part in the first televised Democratic presidential candidate debates later this month. David, uh, the first season of Gilligan's Island, you have, uh, they introduce in the open Gilligan, the skipper, and when they get to Professor Marianne, they say, the rest. <laughs> I got to believe when they introduce this debate, they go, so here's Joe Biden, here's Bernie Sanders, here's Pierre, Pete Buttigieg, and the rest. Uh, again, maybe I continue to be cynical, but are they going to be able to stick out on the same stage with what I would consider some pretty heavy hitters in the, the headliners of the Democratic uh, race? Well, the fact is that as Gilligan's Island went on, the professor and Marianne did such a good job that they got individually named in the opening, the professor and Marianne. Exactly. And, you know, everybody wished they would get married because they would have been such a a great couple. Um, I I think back to the first time Joe Biden ran for president in 1987 before he had to drop out of the race after it turned out he'd plagiarized his autobiographical speech from the true autobiography of of then-British Labor Party leader Neil Canuck. Um, But Biden said, I'm not running for the honor of being the Democratic nominee. I'm running so that I can win this election and be president. And he was saying, so I'm, whatever it costs me in, however, even if I lose the Democratic primaries and don't get the nomination, I'm not going to go so far left that I become unelectable uh, in the general election, which is one of the things that Walter Mondale had made a mistake about back in, in 1984 and, and ended up losing to Reagan in a landslide. I think that is a wise strategy, and there's a lot of people in this country who are ready to vote for the, what was the winning slogan in 1920 when Warren Harding won, return to normalcy. Um, but, you know, Biden has been abandoning all of the things he used to believe in other than unlimited trade with China as he moves to the left and, and panders. So I, I think there is an opening for Hickenlooper in there. His contributions went way, way up after he said, no, we're not gonna, I'm, not gonna, I'm not a socialist and we're gonna, we're gonna, we can have a welfare state and government intervention in the economy in lots of ways, but we're, I'm, he rejected socialism and I think that's the mainstream position of, of most Americans. Uh, today, but not necessarily of the, the control of the party. So Hickenlooper's got a good approach to winning the general election, although I will say he is 
He hurt himself a lot when he went to Al Charlatan's organization and groveled before the most infamous racist on the national political stage today and said we should have a study of what Sharpton calls reparations, as if some guy who's an Ethiopian cab driver who came here as a refugee 15 years ago should have to pay higher taxes uh, so they can support organizations like Charlatan's. Uh, Natasha, you have uh, both John Hickloop and Michael Bennett with a tough job. It's their first debate, which is great. You're on the big stage, and clearly of the two debates, that's going to get, I think, if there's going to be any ratings involved, the higher ratings because you have the headliners there. But now you've got to stick out. Uh, what kind of odds do you give both either John Hickloop or Michael Bennett being able to come out with anything positively memorable out of this debate? I think their team is going to spend the entire time between now and then preparing for exactly that. How do you stand out without not also seeming comical or like you're stretching too far? Um, that is, that's going to be a difficult um, decision for both of their teams. I, I think there's actually two lessons to be learned um, in prep for that from local races recently. Um, one, last Sunday, the Democrats had their first forum looking at the Senate race against Cory Gardner. There were, I think it was eight or nine people speaking that day. And it gets to be a long day. I mean, all, it was a pretty lively format. They had good questions, good good um, presentation from all the candidates, but it's it's a long night. So add even more candidates into that on a presidential level. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And then my other point is for local races is the runoff. You know, it was a very different municipal race when you had all kinds of candidates on the ticket. It's a different, and it's a very different thing when you're a runoff situation. You have two people. Ultimately, the Democrats want to take back the White House. So all of this debate coverage, figuring out who is going to be the forerunner. They, they may get distracted, but their ultimate goal, which they really do have to stay focused on if they want to reach it, is figuring out who could defeat President Trump. Joey, I don't know where Michael Bennett has stood on these uh, issues, but John Hickluber seems to be trying to make his own, uh, maybe not his own, but at least uh, headlines for himself that are uh, denouncing socialism, coming out and saying, hey, we, we can't be about free everything. Um, in this day and age, while that might be viable in a general election, doesn't seem it's going to get a whole lot of cheering at Democratic events right now, just from what you've seen from everybody else. Uh, can he stand on that for long? Well, you know, first off, I want to point out that I think that you uh, made the uh, Gilligan's Island point just so that I wouldn't do it when you got to me. So, <laughs> but, so congratulations. <laughs> but, you know, Hickenlooper has picked a lane, but is that lane going where the party's going? And I, I don't think it is. You know, he practically got booed off the stage in California a couple of weeks ago when he spoke against socialism. And, uh, you know, I don't know. So I think he's going to tell us whether, you know, that was about California or, or whether it was about the Democratic Party. You know, as far as the debate goes, you know, he and uh, he and Bennett are in the top 20 out of 24. You know, I'll be more impressed if they're on stage in Milwaukee next summer. Uh, you know, I don't know how much this says. You know, they've got a, uh, a long way to go and a short time to get there. So I see you Gilligan's Island and raise you a Smokey and the Bandit. <laughs> <laughs> As always, Joey, the, 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 the better comment made by you. I absolutely go with that. Uh, Patty, wrap it up for us. You know John Hickler very well. We have watched Michael Bennett uh, in his political career here uh, pretty closely. Who has the better shot at sticking out in a positive fashion in that kind of environment? on the three-hour tour to go back to Gilligan's Island. <laughs> With five moderators and ten people, you can't even imagine the logistics of having any kind of useful discussion. But I think, 
if you're looking at the Gilligan's Island thing, Bennett kind of comes across as the professor. He's He's been on a lot of new shows lately. He seems very um, measured and that he's thought about these issues, but he's not going to have the charisma say, I don't know if we can put John Hickenlooper in the ginger category, but <laughs> he's got the potential with his work background, with his business background, with the fact that he's now embraced the fact that he is a capitalist, even if he's a generous-hearted capitalist, that he could go up against Trump. So I think he's got a better shot depending on how he behaves in that debate. But it may be that no one comes out a winner, that we just have Sanders and Biden going after each other, not changing their positions at all, and no one really making a dent. I think your comparison makes sense because I can't imagine Ginger Grant being a fan of socialism either. So I think, <laughs> I think you're right there. Jefferson County officials announced more details of the plans to consider tearing down and replacing the current Columbine High School. Online surveys and community forums will seek input from Jefferson County residents, and a bond vote will be needed to approve funds to the project if it were to move forward. Natasha, there's going to be plenty of time to debate the details if it goes that far, but we, we started this conversation last mm-hmm. week. Let's continue about what we think about the details being released. Is Jeffco going about this the right way? Are the right folks going to be uh, involved in the decision-making? I think so. And I think I think the local media will, will pay attention to this and make sure that those people are included. Um, we did we did start this conversation last week, and there's sort of two points that I, one thing I mentioned was that I could see sort of both sides of the story. You know, as a parent with a child in, in a public school, I, I can understand how it's difficult to send a kid to a place that has had a traumatic and violent history um, and, and feeling upset by this. I mean, we're also in a, in a metro area that was essentially paralyzed this, this past um, spring by one person and shut down everyone with a threat of violence. I think the AP reported that there were 2,400 unauthorized people on the campus. That's a lot of people who aren't there to drop off a kid or pick up a kid or support the school, um, who are there to, to sort of gawk or to experience or to sometimes pay um, memorial to to the people who died there as, as well. Um, but that's a lot for the school to take care of. So safety is a question. But then there is a concern that if we, we tore down our, our scraped every spot where gun violence happened in this country, what would that look like? I mean, just think in Denver alone, in the metro alone, in Colorado, what spaces would have to be changed simply because of gun violence? Um, And then, so I can understand both sides of those, and I think they both need to be heard, and I think that's exactly what's going to happen. Joey, what do you think about uh, the way they're going about it? Is is Jeffco considering this idea, uh, albeit I think maybe a little late in the game? We just uh, you know commemorated the 20th anniversary. Uh, are they going about it the right way? Well, you know, you're absolutely right. It's a monumental statement, but it's also a monumental price that probably should have been paid a long time ago if they were going to do that. You know, the cynic in me says, well, you know, this is a heck of a sales pitch to build a 60 or 70 million dollar school. And yeah, I, I don't know that voters are going to go for this if it ultimately winds up in front of voters. Um, you know, symbols at the same time, I, I agree with Natasha that symbols have meanings. But, you know, the Colorado, uh, the state flower is the mountain columbine. So maybe this means that the Denver dandelion is going to have an opportunity <laughs> to be to uh, to step up. Like I say, I, I don't know. This just, uh, and as Natasha said, we've had so many places that have um, have been the site of violence and tragedy. Are we going to try to tackle them all? And are we going to give that kind of power to people who might want to shoot up a school that not only are they going to take lives, that they're going to bring uh, bulldozers to their campus? I don't know. There's as much for it as against it in my mind. 
Patty, is this a question for folks in Jefferson County, or is it a question for the Columbine community? Is it should should the the scope of who they ask be tighter? Well, it's a question for the Jefferson County community because they'll be paying for it. It's going back to the Bronco Stadium. It's ludicrous at this point, 20 years after Columbine, after the killings there, and what we've learned and what we saw t- at the anniversary is that Columbine, just for some reason, that one act, and there have been other horrific acts. You don't hear about Sandy Hook as much, but Columbine, just that word has become comes to represent the concept of this these kinds of horrors across the country. It's not connected to the place. It's just the concept. I mean, I, I talked about it last week. Saul Pace came, didn't go to the school, bought a gun, went up to Echo Lake, just down from Mount Evans, by the way, which they also want to rename. And she never went to the school. She did what she did because of the concept of Columbine. Getting rid of the school is not going to make a difference. You can save a lot of money by just maybe retrofitting for more security. David, I think about other sites, um, uh, Sandy Hook, that elementary, they have uh, built a new one. Um, and I believe it's somewhere around the, about a, a copycat after Sandy Hook. It was the Amish school. And it was almost, I mean, it was uh, less than a couple weeks later where that was level, grass is growing, and they just uh, walked away. Uh, has too much time lapsed for this kind of a move to be effective? Well, I, you, you still have the, the sickos and the gawkers who are coming. So that that's a problem to address. I I'm not familiar with the exact details of school design. I just wonder if they could build a 12-foot brick wall uh, around the entire area with then then gated access you know, that's open in the morning for the students and faculty um, and, and keep those people away at, at, a, at a much lower cost. And as Joey said, there, there is the concern that as you don't want to incentivize some future criminal to think, I will ki- I'll, they'll, they'll have to tear down the school building, uh, and, and that'll be my legacy. And the reason Columbine became this national thing more than others was the media coverage, not necessarily local, but national, was, was atrocious and really went out of its way uh, to provide fame uh, to the criminals. Well, let's get to our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Patty, start us off. Well, Westfield Developers, which is doing a really interesting project not far from here on Brighton Boulevard that will include the Mission Ballroom, which looks like it's going to be great, just sold some land because they hadn't been able to come to a deal with the city. They were going to give this land for almost no amount of money to art space to build live-work housing for artists. This is two years ago that deal was announced, fell through this spring, and we still have artists who cannot have any hope of living in Denver. David. Um, at Oberlin College, at a little bakery and liquor store near the school that's been, a, been in the same family for five generations, some students were caught shoplifting wine, tried to fight against being detained, and so there was a scuffle. Well, this happened to happen the day after the 2016 election, and so a racist mob at, of students at the school, aided, abetted, and incited by the school administration, tried to destroy this business. The jury has just come in with a verdict against Oberlin College for its leading role in this defamation. $11 million in actual damages, $22 million in punitive damages, plus attorney's fees. I hope that sends a message to administrators all over the country uh, to stop siding with vicious racists. 
Natasha. This is not a new thing. I'm still mourning the loss of the daily press meeting at the White House. I do hope there's a little bit of optimism that with the changes announced this week that perhaps it com- can come back, um, but I'm not holding my breath. And they say I'm the optimist at this table, Natasha. Mm-hmm. Well done. Joey. Well, the governor's office signed an executive order to increase immunizations this week. But, you know, and that was one of the most controversial topics of the last session. A lot of people showed up to, to oppose that. They announced the, the signing at Children's Hospital on Wednesday night for first thing Thursday morning, and opponents had no opportunity to protest or to show up. The governor's office thinks I'm crazy, but, you know, why are you signing it at a children's hospital if it's not political? And I'm of the belief that there are no coincidences in politics. I think this was an attempt to sidestep opponents. Time to say something nice. Patty. If I'm staying in the arts groups for right now, Denver Botanic Gardens, which is doing a great job of moving into this millennium and beyond and just started its concert series. And also, Happy Pride Fest for the 400,000 people who are alleged to be coming down to Civic Center Park. David. Lynn Bartles, formerly a spokesperson for uh, the, the previous nonpartisan, highly competent Secretary of State, uh, is now back in the journalism business, at least part-time writing for Colorado Politics. As a wonderful segue, a little preview, uh, Lynn will be able to join us around this panel next week. So very excited to see her back. Natasha. Denverite reported this week about how the Denver Public Library is now borrowing free bike kits to people to be able to repair their wheels. Uh, just another way that Denver Public Library continues to think outside of the box to come up with great ways to reach out to their, their uh, Denver citizens. Imagine asking a librarian 30 years ago, how are you going to stay relevant? Where are we going to have bike repair kits? <laughs> but they are. It's a good move. Joey. My friend Nick Garcia at the Denver Post wrote the definitive profile on uh, Martin Reese, the, the state's first first gentleman this week. You know, we don't know enough about him, and he's a historic figure. So way to go, Nick. You're here. Before we leave you tonight, we have several important updates. If you're looking for advice on financial planning, and really who isn't, be sure to attend our free financial planning wills and trust workshop that is here in our studios next Tuesday, June 18th at 1 p.m. Call our number 303-296-1212 for details. Next, I want to give a special preview of our next season of Street Level. We are kicking it off next Tuesday. The 18th is a big day around here. The time, this time, we are focusing on the startup boom in Colorado and how it all came to be. The broadcast premieres on Tuesday, June 18th. And if you're, I don't watch TV anymore, crowd. Of course, you're, you're probably watching this TV, so you're probably not that crowd. But if you are, <laughs> it's going to be all available on cpt12.org slash startups. You can watch the whole season there. And uh, you can watch it even before the 18th if you have Passport with CPT12 right now. And then finally, we want to definitely send out a happy Father's Day to folks out there, uh, to all the dads out there, especially mine. I couldn't very well uh, wish my mom happy Mother's Day on the program and forget my dad. I, I'm uh, too smart of a favorite kid to do that. <laughs> that is indeed all the time we have for this episode of Colorado Inside Out. For everyone here at CPT12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night. Thank you.